Please uh, take a seat. And if you have a Bible, if you could find uh, 1 Corinthians or 1 Corinthians, uh, as I should say, chapter 2, we're going to look at uh, the reading that Ed read to us a few moments ago. We'll spend just a few minutes thinking about what uh, Paul was teaching uh, in these verses. As we begin, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we bow in your presence. May your word be our rule, your spirit our teacher, and your greater glory our great concern. For Jesus' sake, amen. So I I remember uh, when I was 12, going on a camping trip uh, with my school. And we went to the Lake District in the north of England. It's the closest thing we have in England to mountains, Uh, mountains and lakes, it's it's stunningly beautiful. And the thing I remember about it is not the beauty of the surroundings. The thing I remember is being under canvas in a week where it really didn't stop raining, from beginning to end. Uh, The next week, another group from my school went camping to the same place. Uh, And for the next year, we argued over who had the wettest week. But the thing I remember most vividly is going for a a walk in the hills. Um, And the day started cloudy and got worse as it went on. And as we ascended this peak, we were heading up to to a plateau where we were going to have a great view uh, of the valleys around us and and these beautiful uh, fields with dry stone walls and, and hills off into the distance. Well, the clouds came in. Uh, The mist came rolling in, and as we ascended, we suddenly found ourselves in thick fog. And it got worse as the walk went on, and we were up at at the top, and we couldn't see more than about 20 feet in front of us. And I remember thinking, I hope that the two geography teachers we brought with us know how to use a compass. Uh, And what we'd do is we'd send someone off about 20 feet. They'd, They'd set the compass and the map and hope they'd got the map oriented right, send somebody off to walk, and they'd say, okay, stop there, and we'd all walk towards them, and we'd stop, and we'd carry on. And we began to think, how are we going to get down? And I heard one of them saying, it's easy, look, here's a stream, let's follow that. And another one saying, are you insane? Because, you know, sometimes streams go very slowly down, and sometimes you come to a sheer drop, and I'm just not sure quite where we are. So we're, we're there in the fog unable to see almost anything, hardly able to see our hands in front of our faces, when at some point in the middle of the afternoon, the sun came out and burned off the mist. And suddenly we had this gorgeous, clear day, and we could see this wonderful scene for miles around. And here in uh, the second chapter of uh, 1 Corinthians, Paul is saying, in many ways, that is what the Holy Spirit does. The world, the unbelieving world, is walking around in a fog, walking around in thick mist, hardly able to see a thing. And it's only as the Spirit comes and burns off the fog, as he comes and sheds his light, that we can see where we are in God's world, we can see who we are in God's world, and we can understand who God is and know him. Paul has been giving wisdom A pretty hard time, hasn't he, in 1 Corinthians so far? You'll know that if you've been here uh, for the series on 1 Corinthians so far. He says in chapter 1, verse 17, that Christ sent him, 
to preach the message of the cross. Christ didn't send him to to speak eloquent words. He didn't uh, send Paul to to speak in words of human wisdom. And and you'll know that that, that the first century Corinth was obsessed with wisdom. They were obsessed with human wisdom. That was Greek culture through and through. Some of the most brilliant minds in all of history had lived uh, in earlier centuries in, in Greece. And uh, they were wise, and they valued wisdom. Well, by the time the first century came, and in Corinth, it wasn't so much a search for truth as a search for, for eloquent, persuasive, rhetorical words. And Paul says, I don't want anything to do with that. Paul says, all of that human wisdom that sounds so wise is, in fact, foolish. In fact, verse 21 of chapter 1, in the wisdom of God, the world didn't know God through wisdom. Actually, the message of the cross, the message of this crucified Messiah to the Corinthians would have sounded foolish. It would have sounded stupid. For a start, it was a Jewish message, and as Greeks, they would have dismissed that straight away. But then it was a message about a king who'd been executed, a king who had become a nobody, a king who had become scum. What, what, that's just stupid. What a ridiculous message. But Paul says, no. No, that is the message that God sent me to preach. And your human wisdom has been shown to be foolish. Your human wisdom is the silly thing. And so by the end of uh, the passage you had last week in chapter 2, the beginning of chapter 2, he was saying, I don't want anything to do with that kind of wisdom. I've not come to be persuasive in my words I've not come to impress you with my brilliance. Rather, I've come to preach Christ and him crucified and wisdom be hanged. Because I want your faith to rest not in human wisdom, but in God's power, in the message of Christ crucified. So he's been giving wisdom a hard time, but then suddenly he seems to change tack at the beginning of our passage. And he says, chapter 2, verse 6, yet among the mature we do impart wisdom. Paul says, oh, if only you could see it. This is a wise message. It seems so foolish to you. But the message of the cross is wisdom from God. It's the wisest thing you'll ever hear because through the cross God is putting all things right through the cross the death of Jesus God is solving the problem of human sin God is solving the problem that is at the root of everything that is wrong in the world and so the message of the cross is wisdom because it's the solution to all of the world's problems and all of the world's needs It's just that the world doesn't see it. Among the mature, we do impart wisdom, but it's not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age. And really, that's our first point this morning. The message of the cross is wisdom, but the world doesn't see it. So our first point is God's wisdom is hidden from the world. It's as if the world is walking around in this thick fog that without faith in Jesus... People are walking around in a thick fog, hardly able to see in front of their faces. So it is a wise message, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age. 
In fact, verse 8, none of the rulers of this age understood it. So it's a hidden wisdom. And he says that in in verse 7. Why do the rulers, the influential people, the shapers of this age not understand it? Well, because it is a secret and hidden wisdom of God. It's not something that's immediately obvious to everyone. It's, It's a secret. You know, one of the things about being a kid is you love a secret, don't you? I don't know, maybe if you're an adult, you love secrets. I love secrets. And, and there's, but there's something about being on the outside of a secret that you don't know what it is. You don't know what's going on until someone tells you. And Paul says that outside of faith in Jesus, people are on the outside of this secret and do not understand it. So think about the rulers of this age. Think about the people and the institutions that shape our culture. It's incredibly impressive. Think about uh, the media and the way that that in television and newspapers and on the internet, they they shape the way we think about the world. Think about the kinds of commentators and uh, the people who write op-eds in the papers. Think about their persuasive words. Think about their fine minds. There's something very impressive about it. Think about Hollywood and the narratives that Hollywood tells us about what is the good life? What, what is love? What is true masculinity and femininity? Think about advertisers and big corporations and the vision they present us of the good life, of the things you need to have a life worth living. Think about the technology we have that makes such a difference to our lives. I was reading two weeks ago about Google and about their ambition uh, to manage all of the world's knowledge. And how actually they've arranged to be able to scan every book in every library in the world. And think about the advances the internet has made in, um, in all of our knowledge. I was reading something two days ago that had a Latin phrase in it, and I don't, have, I don't speak Latin. Fifteen years ago, I would have had no chance of understanding what it meant. I just went to Google, I Googled the phrase, and up came some kind of translation. I don't know if there's a good translation or not, but some kind of translation. And yet Paul says, all of the rulers, all of the shapers of this age are foolish because they do not understand God's wisdom. Paul says, you want to know what I think of the brightest and the best of my age? Here's what I think of them. The end of verse 8, they crucified the Lord of glory. There's the tragic irony of the cross. Here is the cross of Christ that reveals God's wisdom and it exposes us for who we are. It reveals God as wise, solving all of the world's problems. It reveals us as foolish, as Jesus, the Lord of glory, steps into our world and the brightest and the best of his Jewish culture and of the Roman society around him put him to death on a cross. Paul says, we look at the cross and we see the Lord of glory. They see a nobody. We look at the cross and we see the wisdom of God they see something tragic and pathetic. We look at the cross and we say, 
This is what makes sense of life. There is nothing more important in the world to us. They look at the cross and they say, we can dismiss that. That's irrelevant. It's unimportant. We don't even need to take it into consideration. Because the wisdom of God is hidden from them. And so as you look around and you, you come across impressive, unbelieving people, as you maybe read um, a, a book or a newspaper op-ed by one of these brilliant atheist minds, don't let it throw you. Don't let it put you off. Understand how God sees them. So wise in the world's eyes. And yet by God's standards, so foolish. When you're talking with a friend who, who seems to have lots of persuasive reasons why they shouldn't be a Christian, you may not have answers. You may not be able to match their arguments. That's okay. Remind yourself that they lack the wisdom of God, that they're, they're walking around in fog and mist and simply cannot see the truth. But here's the tragedy of the world's wisdom. In verse 6, look how Paul describes it. It's, Our wisdom is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. The wisdom of this age is a very passing wisdom. It'll change. It won't be long before the world looks very different. Think back for a moment to the 1950s. You may not have been there, but think back to the 1950s. Think about the kind of values that shaped American culture in the 1950s. Think about the kind of fashions that people wore. Think about the kind of technologies that they had. You know that conversation you have with your children or your grandchildren? Daddy, who was Elvis? Daddy, what's a record? That's exactly what our grandchildren or our great-grandchildren will be saying of us in 60 years' time. They will laugh at our iPhones. They will think it's incredible that we could have survived with something as crude and cumbersome as the internet. They will look at the values and the virtues that shape our culture. And they'll say, how quaint. Dean Ng, uh, who was the dean of St. Paul's Cathedral in the early part of the 20th century, so he issued this warning. He said, the person who marries the spirit of his age will very soon find himself a widow. The wisdom of this age is passing away. So, so don't let it phase you. Don't be put off by you. Remember, it's the wisdom of this age that crucified the Lord of glory. It's the wisdom of this age that is passing away. And in contrast, God's wisdom, verse 7, God's wisdom stretches from eternity to eternity. He decreed it before the ages. Before he'd even created the world, God had decided that he would send his son to die for human sins, seeing that we would fall into sin and that we would need rescue. Before he'd even created, he said to his son, one day you will go and you will die for the salvation of these people. And he decreed it for our glory, 
for the day when Jesus returns and we are transformed to be fully like him. God's wisdom goes from eternity past to eternity future, and so it will never change. It will never pass away. Long after our best technologies have become trash, become just junk, long after the finest minds of our generation have become just a footnote in a dusty library, people will be turning to Jesus and embracing him and seeing in him God's wisdom, people from every tribe, every language, every nation of the world. Because the message of Christ crucified, says Paul, is wisdom from God. But it's a wisdom that's hidden from this world. But if it's hidden, how do we come to know it? How do we come to know it? And and that's our second point this morning. God has made his wisdom known to us by his spirit. God has made his wisdom known to us by giving us his Holy Spirit. Verse 9, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. Okay, this is a moment for you all to talk to one another. I want you, please, to talk to one another, and I want you to tell each other, just your neighbour, what am I thinking right now? What am I, Matthew Mason, thinking right now? Okay, you've got maybe 20 seconds to do that. I'm just going to get myself a cup of water. Does anyone have any idea? What am I thinking right now? I'm thinking one very vivid and specific thought. No, not lunch. So it's a reasonable guess, but so far so good. <laughs> what a lovely place Harrisonburg is. Here's what I'm thinking. In 2009, in the Open Championship, where the British Open, the golf, we call it the, op- the Open. I know there's a US Open, but we call it The Open. <laughs> I, was, I was gripped for four days as Tom Watson... Uh, played the championship of his life and came within an ace of winning. And the thing I was thinking about then is on the final hole of the final round, he he had a reasonably easy approach shot, if you know anything about golf. and I mean, easy for him, not for me. And he hit it a little long, right to the back of the green, and left himself with an incredibly difficult putt to win the championship. And he missed the putt. There was a playoff, and he lost It was an incredibly romantic story. After a couple of decades, he was within inches of winning a major. I was thinking, I I had in my mind's eye that that image of him standing at the back of the green ready to putt. Now, my wife knows me pretty well. I am confident she would never have guessed what I was thinking. (laughs) And that's the point Paul is making in verse 11. Who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Because the Holy Spirit is is fully God, 
He knows God. He knows God's thoughts. Just as I was the one in the room who knew my thoughts. And so you needed me to reveal those thoughts to you. The only person who could have told you right then what I was thinking was me. And that's the point. As Christian believers, we have received the Holy Spirit. And so, in the words of verse 16, we have received the mind of Christ. We've received understanding of the truth. The fog has gone. Clarity has come. Because, end of verse 10, Paul says, the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Or or as one commentator translates it, the Spirit searches everything, even the innermost heart of God. There is nothing in God's heart and mind that the Spirit doesn't know. And verse 12, we have received God's Spirit. The moment we trusted Jesus, the moment we turned from sin and turned to him, God gave us the Holy Spirit to dwell within us and to teach us. No one No one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. But we've been given the Spirit, and so we have the mind of Christ. It's an extraordinary thing that the the simplest Christian believer is far wiser than the greatest unbelieving mind. The youngest Christian believer, think of our little children In God's eyes, that word at the beginning of verse 6, they're mature in a way that the most seasoned unbeliever cannot be. Because they've been taught by the Spirit. And now they, they hear the message of the cross and they look to the cross of Christ and they say, Ah, yes, here is wisdom from God. Here is wisdom from God. And here's how it works. The Spirit comes to us to teach us. But how does he do that? Well, verse 13, Paul starts to talk about his ministry again. So at the beginning of the passage, he's saying, among the mature, we do impart wisdom. That is to say, we we apostolic preachers, me and Peter and Apollos, we impart wisdom from God. That's why I came preaching the message of the cross. And then he picks that up in verse 13. We impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. Paul is laying claim to having been taught by the Spirit to then teach us. And then we interpret spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. And to be spiritual in the Bible simply means to be a Christian. Simply means to have the Holy Spirit. We interpret spiritual truths to those who are under the control of the Spirit, to those whose minds are enlightened by the Spirit. The natural person, the unbeliever, doesn't accept the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolish to them, and they're not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. That is to say, they're discerned as the Spirit shapes our minds and and, and sheds light to help us understand the truth. And so as we come to these words in scriptures, these words of the apostles, we hear not just ancient words written a long time ago, but we hear God speaking to us. We hear God's wisdom addressing us right now. 
And therefore, we should be deeply, deeply thankful. Because we were all like the rest of the world, weren't we? Wandering around in the fog, unable to see things. And God didn't owe us anything. God didn't have to do anything for us. But in his great kindness, he gave us the Spirit so that we true can understand the truth. It's a, it's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing that we've moved out of darkness and into light. I, I've reached the age, it's, in fact, I've reached the age where I'm glad when I'm in a, a restaurant and I get asked for ID if I want to buy a beer. <laughs> it happened to me last night. Um, and I said, I'd be very glad to show you uh, my ID. I'd be delighted to. And she said, it's, sorry, I, I know you're over 21. It's just if someone looks under 30, then I, I said, just keep talking. <laughs> you know, you knew at that moment she was going to get a very good tip. <clears throat> um, but I, I've reached that kind of age. And it means that I, I was always a very solid sleeper. I would, my head would hit the pillow. And I, like that, I would fall asleep and I'd stay asleep till the morning. I've now reached that kind of age where I can no longer sleep all the way through the night every night and I have to get up and I have to go to the bathroom or I have to go and get a glass of water. Well, we're staying in uh, Aubrey and Janelle's house and uh, I, I woke up our first night here, got out of bed and suddenly realised I didn't know where the bathroom was. <laughs> And there I am in the pitch black, groping around, trying not to wake anyone up, trying to figure out, trying not to fall down the stairs on the way to the bathroom. That's what it was like. And then God came and shone his light by his spirit. And suddenly everything became clear. I I still remember it vividly. Uh, I, I grew up in a Christian family. I read the Bible on and off throughout my childhood. And aside from one story, the story of uh, Samuel lying in bed and hearing God speak to him and going running to Eli saying, yeah, what was it you were saying? That story for some reason gripped my imagination. Everything else was pretty meaningless to me. And then at the age of 20, uh, I came to Christ and suddenly these words came to life. Just like that. The next time I opened the Bible, these were living words speaking to me because God had given me his spirit. That's what it's like. It's a, it's a wonderful thing for which we should be profoundly grateful. It should also make us realize how, how deeply dependent we are on God's Holy Spirit. Because Paul says... We don't speak in words taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. There's no way we could understand these words without the Spirit of God at work within us. There's no way they would make sense. We would read these words, we would hear the gospel, and we would say, that's silly. Or we would just say, that that makes no sense to me. I used to, in England, run a course called Christianity Explored. It was a a seven-week course um, that that, that explained the gospel to people. And and people who were not Christians would come, and they would eat a meal with us week by week, and we'd, we'd talk about Jesus. And it was fascinating to watch very intelligent people completely failing to understand what was going on. Or 
beginning to understand and saying, but really, I don't see how that's relevant for my life at all. And then you see other people very similar to them suddenly say, oh, it all makes sense. The only reason is because the Spirit had come and had shed light in their minds. We all need that. And so if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, um, if, you're, if you're looking into Christianity and wondering, could it be true? Could it be for me? What's it all about? Let me say, you'll never figure it out on your own. You'll never figure it out under your own steam. It doesn't matter how intelligent you are. It doesn't matter how much you know about other things. This is not something you can figure out by yourself. It's wonderful that you're here and in some sense part of this community. But these people here, they they can point you in the right direction. They're never going to help you see the truth and believe the truth. They can't do it for you. You need the Spirit of God to act. So let me suggest, if you're really interested in in finding out what is Christianity really true, here's a a way to do it, I think. Let me suggest a little test. Pick one of the Gospels, one of the biographies of Jesus in the Bible, and start reading. But as you read, let me ask you to, to pray, to say to God, hey, look, God, if you're there, if this is real, please send your Spirit to me to teach me and to show me that it's real. Please help me not just read words written 2,000 years ago. Help me hear you speaking to me as I read. Because it's only as the Spirit comes and shines his light that we can understand. I have experience of it in my sermon preparation. Sometimes for me, sermon preparation is pretty quick. Um, and Or if, if not quick, it takes a number of hours, but it's fairly clear and I... I work out what the Bible is saying and I think, well, okay, how does that then apply to us? And things happen fairly clearly and quickly and I know what I want to preach. Other times I can work for hours and hours and hours and find that the fog has descended. And, and I feel like I'm kind of groping around after something in here and I've no idea what's going on. And as Sunday approaches, um, I won't quite say panic sets in, <laughs> but I begin to be a little nervous. And I have a number of strategies for coping when that happens. Um, I, I switch up translations. I pick up, if I'm using one translation of the Bible, I pick up another translation in the hope that that'll shed some light and help me see things a bit differently. Or I'll, I'll go and I'll read some more commentaries on this passage and see if they'll help me. Um, or I write. I just write and write and write. There are times when I go through a whole pad of paper just trying to get my mind clear. Or I I go and I listen to other people's sermons on the internet and think, well, maybe they'll help me. It never works. Never works. I may pick up an illustration here or a phrase there, but it never really helps. And I'm a slow learner. (laughs) But by now I'm beginning to realize what I should do. See, what I should do is I should pray. Because as the fog descends, there's only one person who can shine light and help me to see. And so as I'm preparing, I need to be praying, Lord, teach me. In the words of Martin Luther, teach me, teach me, teach me. Lord, I need to hear you speak to me. I need a message from you to me, and then I need a message from you for your people. Please help me. Please send your spirit 
please, please help me to know what you are saying. And you know, he's never let me down. It's true as I prepare sermons. It's true as I have my morning quiet time. As I make time, hopefully, usually before the family's up, but at some point during the morning to, to read my Bible and to pray. Lord, teach me. Speak to me today through these words. May they not be just a dead letter from thousands of years ago. May they be your living word. So as we come to the Bible, it's a spiritual exercise. It's not like reading any other book. It doesn't matter if you have a graduate degree. It doesn't matter if you left high school without completing your high school education. You can read this book and you can hear God speak to you day by day by day, as you pray to him for the Spirit to teach you. And so reading the Bible, it's a spiritual exercise. It's what one writer calls prayed reading. You know, if you ever read, maybe you've been reading a novel or some other kind of book, and you're reading for a while, and you suddenly think, I, I don't have a clue what that means. But there's a scene, there's an interaction between two characters, and you're left puzzled, and you think, I really don't, I don't understand what was going on there. I hate murder mysteries for that reason. Because I'm left baffled until like the last chapter and I don't like it. <laughs> and now what if you're talking to someone and they say something and you think, hang on a minute, I, I don't get that. Could you just repeat that for me? Say it again. I, I'm not quite sure I understand what you mean. And they're able to say it again in a different way. Reading the Bible is much more like that because the Bible is the only book we always read in the presence of its author. We always read it with the Holy Spirit there with us. The same Spirit who caused these words to be written so many years ago is with us and dwelling in us. And he's able to teach us and show us what he wants to say to us through these words. And so, as we close, I want to say that should give us great confidence. That should give us great confidence that actually we can know God's wisdom. We're not on the outside of the secret, wondering what everyone's whispering about. Because as it were, the Spirit has come and whispered the secret in our ears. He's come and said, see that man hanging on the cross. This is what it means. This is what it means. This is what it shows you about God. This is what it means for you. That your sins are can be forgiven as you turn to him. That all that is wrong with the world, he's taken it on himself, and so the world can be put right. It gives us confidence that we come to the words of the Bible inspired by the Spirit. And the Spirit says, here's a message for you this morning. You may think of yourself as a very simple Christian. Well, in the words of this passage, you are wise. You may think of yourself as a very young Christian. Well, in the words of this passage, you're mature. You may think, there's a lot I don't understand, and there is a lot we don't understand, isn't there? Aubrey is a smart guy. He's done a lot of study, and there's a ton of stuff that he doesn't understand. But in the words of this passage, we have the mind of Christ. We know what we need to know. Because God has come and he's he's given us his spirit. 
and he's revealed his inmost heart. So that we hear the message of the cross and we don't say how foolish. We hear the message of Jesus and his death for us and we say yes, here is wonderful wisdom from God. Which give us great confidence to come to God's word day by day by day. And echo that prayer of Martin Luther, Lord, teach me, teach me, teach me. Let's pray.